God is so good, amen.
good. Oh, we had a beautiful time Friday night, so next time we do it, we'll try to get all you guys out here. We had a wonderful night of praise and worship. Brother Ben, I I'm handing this off to you. All right. Hey, before you sit down, would you just say hi to your neighbor, tell them they look great, and remind them God is good. Wonderful. Once uh, find your seeds, and so thankful we can be here and together in God's presence. God is so good. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. He's beyond description, beyond what we can express with our words or music. But He is worthy <laughs> of everything that we have. And so, what a joy to be together. Thank you for being here. If you're here for the first time at uh, Rimrock Church, we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us in worship. Our, our prayer is that you would be ministered to and experience God's presence and the joy of God's people. But uh, we would ask if you uh, want uh, to let us know you're here. There's a little table over there by that basketball uh, hoop where you can uh, uh, share your name and contact information. We'd love to welcome you and uh, let you know what's going on uh, here at Rimrock Church. So uh, we have a, a couple things uh, coming up. We have, uh, by the way, uh, Drew and Alyssa are here. Hey guys, welcome. I'm so thankful they're here. Drew was our youth pastor for many years, so we're so thankful that he's back here from Nebraska. And they had Camp Halawasa. For two weeks, we've had uh, Rimrock kids and leaders serving at Camp Halawasa. It's been a huge, huge blessing. That's why Drew and Alyssa came back for that. We have a couple things coming up. Uh, we have an annual meeting next Sunday. So we are a congregational church. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So we, uh, we come together to make uh, major decisions together to approve budget, to bring uh, welcome new members and new elders, leaders for our church. So that's right after our service at 1030, uh, right here. Um, so right after the service, we'll, we'll be gathering. So I want to invite members to come. But if you're not a member, you're welcome to join us and, and see kind of how, um, how God works through the operation of our, our community here. Also, August 28th, we have a baptism coming up. I'm so excited. We're going to have a picnic right after the service, and uh, we're going to be baptizing. In fact, just this morning, someone said, I want to be baptized. Last Sunday, several people told me they wanted to be baptized. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to express and tell the whole world what he has done in you and what he's doing through Jesus Christ in your life, baptism is what we believe is our outward expression, our outward testimony of the inward reality that Jesus has saved us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. So it's a beautiful time. So August 28th. Please let me know, or a pastor or the church office know if you want to be baptized. This Tuesday, we have a team leaving to Costa Rica. So just encourage you to be praying. Last Sunday, we, we commissioned them off. So be praying for them as they prepare to go and share the love of Christ down there. Well, I hope you came prepared to participate in worship. Not just to observe worship, but to participate. And so I'm going to read out Isaiah 55, which is really an invitation to worship. And, and I'd ask you to personalize this prayer, and I'm going to give you a few moments here to do, uh, to speak to the Lord and allow the Lord to speak to you. Um, Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be, may be found. 
Call on him while he is near. God is with us. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon. I'm just going to pause and take a few minutes to examine your heart. If there's any sin in your life, this is the time to confess it. Bring it to the Lord and it says in Isaiah 55 that he will freely pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We need to be reminded of that this morning. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy. Do you believe that this morning? And you will be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands, and instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, oh, praise his name, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Who walks on the water? Who speaks to the sea? Who stands in the fire beside me? He roars like a lion, he bled as a lamb, and he carries my healing in his hand. Jesus.
Messiah, my Savior. There is power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. There is power in your name. Sing it again. Jesus Messiah 
in him this morning. We sing it. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. All the glory to you, God. Light of the world. Sing it again. All our hope is in you. and a little piano and flute. Let's sing that. Jesus Messiah A name above all names Blessed Redeemer Emmanuel The rescue for sinners The from heaven Jesus Messiah Lord of all Amen you are God thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your own son to die for every foolish thing we've ever done every foolish word Every hateful thought, God, Jesus, you died for that. You know how desperate we are for you. Help us to see it, God, how desperate we are for you. And as Nick comes up, Lord, he's going to share truth that if we listen, Holy Spirit, if you open the eyes of our hearts, this can change us and we can be happier and more free than we've ever been. God, speak through Nick. Listen through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Check, check, check. <laughs> check, check, check. There we go. Turn to Mark chapter 8. And we might spend a little time Matthew chapter 16, but the, the primary text we're looking at is Mark chapter 8, 
verses 22, starting in verse 22. And before we dive into this, there's, there's a couple things that kind of came to my heart and mind that I wanted to share with you and remind myself is most of the time when, when you're listening to a sermon or preaching, you're looking for some application, and I think we're supposed to. I believe this is the, the living word of God, the testament of our living God. And so there's a dynamic expression of this that we ought to ask, what does this mean to me? Uh, but I really believe we can get in trouble if we ask that question first. If we, if we always come to the scriptures and just say, what does this mean to me? I think it takes my uh, culture and my grid and my bias, and it could be easy to get off course. So I, I want to encourage us, and as we look at scripture today, uh, I think first we should ask, what is the original author saying to the original audience in that culture and that context? And I think we derive a lot of God's purposes when we go about and just read what the text says first and foremost um, in its setting. And then I believe it's good to apply what does scripture mean to me. And so if you would open your Bibles, chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. It says, And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home and said, Do not enter the village. So at this point in the book of Mark, and as Jesus is, is walking on earth, we've seen many healings take place. We've seen him express authority over demonic, authority over the wind and the waves, uh, all kinds of things that he's establishing in a fairly public way that he has power over all things. But at this stage in his ministry, at least especially in this story, in this section of Mark, you get, a, you get all these private, personal moments that take place where it seems like at this point Jesus is no longer um, making vast public declaration to the masses to gain a following. He still has his mission. He still has his uh, purposes that he's following to march to the cross to redeem mankind. But at this point, um, you know, we can only speculate all the reasons why. Maybe he's created such hubbub and he knows his time has not come. Other places in scripture he says time hasn't come because he knows at some point he's going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem and all hell's going to break loose and he's going to march to the cross. But the thing that stuck out to me with this and the thing that touched my heart is how personal this God we serve is. Where he takes this man by the hand and he leads him out in private and he has this interaction with him. Where I believe God sees individuals. And it's really easy to be a part of a group and that's very glorious and good. I believe we're made for community and relationship. But it's easy to sing about a, a loving God who loves the world and at times forget that he sees you. And if you're like me, there's many times you say prayers or you're dealing with things in your life and you don't necessarily feel like he's paying attention. And Satan would love to take those opportunities to stack up false evidence against God 
that says, yes, he may be good, and yes, he likes them, and yes, he died for them, but where is he now for you? And scriptures like this remind me and encourage me that even though God is about a great cosmic mission, that he sees the individual in need. So Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. This concept of being taken by the hand means a lot to me. Uh, most of you know I got tons of physical ailments, so I don't walk real well. And so rocky earth, rocky grand I, land, I got to be very careful uh, where I step. And so probably six years ago, a couple good friends of mine did this, this training they call Gaborim training. And Gaborim is the name for the mighty men. And it was very military-based. You had 72 hours. You flew down to this ranch in San Antonio. And all the people who participate, the trainees, had very little information on what was about to happen. All you knew is you get into this 15-passenger van, and you don't talk to the driver, and you go. And so this van pulls up, mask on, music blaring, and takes you off to this compound. And the first thing that takes place, and all this was training, and there was purpose behind it, but the first thing that takes place is when you pull up to this compound, all these AR machine guns get fired around, they throw you out of the van, they throw a bag over your head and zip tie your hands. You feel pretty vulnerable even though you thought you knew what was going on. And so the people that were with me were, were quite terrified. They thought they were prepared. But I'll tell you what happened to me. The people conducting this training knew about my physical ailments. And they knew if I had to get thrown around and drug, drug about, it'd be pretty embarrassing and I'd be on the ground pretty quick. And so very quickly, one of them took me by the hand, zip-tied, and carefully led me kind of away to safety, even though we were conducting this really, really intense process. And I want you to think of, we just sang of the lion and the lamb, the creator of all things the one who sits upon the throne and will judge the living and the dead. This being that we call God takes you by the hand to make sure that you're taken care of, that you have what you need and you have the setting that you need. He looks after you, so you might be scared. There might be a lot of machine gun fire around you, but he sees you like he sees the blind man. As we go on, we realize the interesting part of this healing is it's a process, right? So far, we've seen different times where Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and it immediately stops. Or he says, your daughter is healed who's not even here, and she's healed. Other times, he's very physical and personal where he touches the tongue, puts his ears, or hands in a man's ears. And many, many times we see these healings just happen all of a sudden. But this one's a little different. This one's unique in that Jesus touches him and then enters into conversation. What do you see? I see men walking as trees. And he touches him again, and it says he clearly sees all things. And I believe that salvation is a one-time rebirth. Salvation, when Christ forgives your sin, and it says he makes you brand new, that you become brand new in spirit, that something is accomplished, as Jesus said on the cross, Telestai, it is accomplished. Something is accomplished at that moment for all time. However, I think sanctification is the Christian word we use for process. 
It's about being set apart. And over and over, Scripture talks about being complete, yet being completed. Being holy, but striving for holiness. And what we see here is a real palpable physical example of a man who, as he interacts with Jesus, gets some healing to his vision, and then deeper, longer, more interaction with Jesus, and he sees all things clearly. Hebrews 10:14 says this, For by one offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So having perfected for all time, accomplished, finished work, and then those who are being sanctified, something that's continuing throughout our lives. And I think if you look at your experience, you can relate to that, and that's probably good news. Some of you have to recognize and understand the complete work of Jesus Christ, that he will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. But it's encouraging to know that we're all in process. So none of us are as we ought to be. So I want, that, I want you to take that and give yourself, and maybe more importantly, give others some mercy and some grace in the process. A few other verses. Philippians 3.16 says that we should live up to what we have attained, or we should hold true to that which we already have attained. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, there's a great picture of this finished work, but yet learning to live it out. Where Ephesians is put together, Paul talks about here's who you are, evil, here's who Christ is, good, here's what he's done, forgiven you and made you brand new, and not until chapter 4 does he start saying, so then walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so in this healing, it so reminds me that Christ has done a secure work in my life. Now what is my response to that? What all has been accomplished by one act of faith, and what remains to be done? A.W. Tozer says, we are saints by rebirth, and we need to strive to be saints by character. So the question I have to ask myself is, what am I doing to cultivate spiritual growth? What am I doing to experience that which is already true about me? We are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, I believe you enter into a personal relationship at salvation. But I think a deep, intimate friendship takes place over time and habit. Doing what you're doing now, coming to church, hearing from the word of God, singing praises and hymns having conversations with your family and with your friends throughout life about what God is like, spending time daily or multiple times daily in the Word to cultivate a friendship. And we all know what this is like on a horizontal level, that it takes all kinds of effort and all kinds of work and all kinds of time and all kinds of years. That a married couple becomes one. This is wedding season, right? Married couples all over America are becoming one today, tomorrow, the next day, and how long does it take 
to cultivate this deep intimacy. That something happens when they enter into covenant. But it takes time and personal interaction and relationship to discover who your spouse really is. And I think the same is true for our God. Saints by rebirth, let's strive to be saints by character. The other thing we see going on in the text, in chapters 27, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one. So once again, we get Jesus asking a generic question. Who are the people saying? What are you hearing about me? And they throw all kinds of crazy answers out. Some say you're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Savior. Others say prophet of old, raised from the dead. Maybe John the Baptist who just died. So they are used to resurrection conversations and they're grabbing pretty deeply, and just like today, people are asking the question, who this Jesus is. But then Jesus gets personal with his disciples. And I think he gets personal with us. And perhaps he's getting personal with you. It says, Have you, you've heard about me. Who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16, we get a little bit more detail of the same story. Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, his full given name, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So we can read into a lot of what's going on here. And Ben and I were talking, and I think a lot of the staff were talking about geographically, Caesarea Philippi is a place up north in Israel's uh, surrounding areas, uh, Golan Heights area, right underneath Mount Hermon. And it is a long ways away from where Jesus and his disciples typically hang out. And it is a place that is, uh, think of it as the Gentile red light district. There is uh, Pan, the god of Pan. There's a temple there in Caesarea Philippi. And there's all kinds of non-Jews entering into pagan worship, pagan lifestyle, pagan sexuality, pagan drunkenness. Uh, this is a place that, that religious Jews do not go. And yet, Jesus takes a far journey with his people to ask the question, who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the Savior, as Jesus responds, blessed are you, and I will build my church on this rock, there might be a few things going on here. Peter's name means and sounds like rock. 
So Jesus certainly could be declaring and inviting Peter to be a huge part of the growing of the church, that he's going to play a major role being used once the Holy Spirit comes to expand his kingdom. And I think us, as, as Ben just said, that we, are, we believe in the priestly nation, that when you receive Jesus Christ, you are a part of his kingdom. You enter in to his growing kingdom on earth. So he might be declaring that Peter will be a part of this. The other thing that could be true is he's looking at Mount Hermon and all these rock temples, and he's saying, right here, in the midst of evil, where at this moment, this looks like a shadow of hell. Right here, I will have victory over evil. I will reign as king, and the gates of hell will not overcome. And so though we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, God stands in the middle of that, and Jesus Christ says, I am God, and I will reign, and I will use broken people to establish my kingdom. Because he also could be saying, right here in the midst of all this pagan evil, I'm going to start to take what once was evil, my heart and your heart. You were once alienated. You were once filled with selfishness. You were once sexually immoral. You were once a liar and a cheater and a thief. But when I do my redeeming work, I change you. So in the middle of this evil, I redeem. And the middle of the evil that surrounds you, I redeem and I restore. And then he tells Peter, gives him authority and gives his disciples authority, says, I will give you the keys that what is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and what is loosed in heaven is what is loose on earth. Once again, Christians, we have a part to play in the kingdom of God. As we go on, he began to teach them plainly that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So at this point, Jesus tells them the details of what's about to happen. That the scribes and the Pharisees and those in authority are going to kill him. But after three days, he'll raise. And we don't really get the, the temperature of the room here where Peter takes him aside, and it might be because he just loves this man so much, he believes he's the Messiah, and he says, may this never happen to you. Or perhaps it's because Peter wasn't seeing clearly that he was looking for the Messiah. He knew that Jesus, who he's grown to love, is the Messiah, but he thought he was coming to conquer in military style, in political style, and as we know through lots of other scriptures of the New Testament, all of his disciples were looking to finally be raised up after all kinds of time being down. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are considering and valuing the things of man more than the things of God. Once again, I think as he looks and sees his disciples, 
and he recognizes the need for them to understand and see the world as God sees the world, to see themselves as God sees themselves, to see God as he truly is. So just like the blind man, Jesus is reaching into his disciples. I believe he's reaching into us and says, I want you to see reality, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to give you an opportunity to be touched by the Savior, by the Messiah, that you might first see God as a loving, good, perfect God. And then you might first see your brothers and your sisters in process. And you might see yourself as a new creation that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in to be a part of kingdom building work. In Revelation 4 and 5, there's this scene that's described. And the scene includes a throne and one seated on a throne and surrounded by 24 smaller thrones. And the scene includes angels and living beings that we've never seen the like of declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and was to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, all blessing and power and honor and glory. We get this incredible cosmic picture of a God that there is no way I can do justice to declaring. The beautiful sound system that we have and the beautiful setting pales in comparison to the worship service described in Revelation 4 and 5. And that God who creates fear and trembling, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That God have taken many of you by the hand, has taken me by the hand, and said, as grand as I am, that you will never fully understand. I will take you to a private encounter. I will touch you. I will redeem your sight and allow you to see truth so that you with me will reign for all time. The same question we've asked all through the book of Mark, what will you do with the Lamb of God? Who do you say Jesus is? And if you've received the grace and salvation that he's offered you, my encouragement is to join with me and encourage me. Let's lock shields and work out our salvation so that we might experience that which is true. Tom and Anna, could you guys come up for this last song? So as grand and majestic as God is, worthy of anything that we could offer him. I want you to see that being is like this story. Jesus who sees individuals. Jesus who takes them by hand. Jesus who looks at his small group with compassion. Jesus who's willing to rebuke and say, I want you to get in line with a loving, perfect God and not your own. 
as I was preparing for this, I want to end with a letter that I received this week. And it says this, Nick, it was great talking with you over this week's scripture passage. I really like the analogy of the blind man gradually receiving his sight in the same way that we gradually begin to see the world, ourselves, and others through God's eyes. Peter rebuked Jesus saying that he would die because he was looking at his bias through his wanting political and a military Messiah, not a suffering servant. Over the past 48 years, I have slowly began receiving my spiritual sight and learning to look at life through God's eyes. How many times I have stumbled by longing for political and cultural solutions to issues that can only be solved through Jesus Christ changing individual hearts and giving new sight. Peter and I are not so very different. Anyways, thanks for taking the time to chat. My brother Tom. So my encouragement as these guys lead us is to do the work of receiving the grace of God and to let him continue to pour into you and over you with humility until you see yourself, God and others, as he does. And Tom's gift is to lead us in worship and music. But you all have a part to play in building the kingdom. Sweet fragrance rising, breathed in by my King. May my words make you smile, these humble praises I bring. May my life be a song, Lord. That you love to sing. Hey, let's sing that together as a prayer. Say, may my life be a song that you love to sing. A sweet fragrance rising, breathed in by my King. May my words make you smile These humble praises I bring May my life be a song, Lord 
that you love to save. Amen. Lord, what can I give for all you have done? Adopting this lost boy and now calling me son. You're healing my mind. You are setting me free from glory to glory. God, you're changing me. Amen. Let's sing it. May my life, may my life be a song that you love to sing. A sweet fragrance rising, breathed in by my King. May my words make you smile These humble praises I bring May my life be a song, Lord That you love to sing Your church is my home your people, my joy. Amen. We gather and lift up this beautiful noise. You're knitting our hearts. You're feeding our souls. A constant reminder that we're not alone. That's good to know, isn't it? One more time. May my life be a song, oh yeah, that you love to sing. A sweet fragrance rising. I breathe in by my King. May my words make you smile. These humble praises I bring. May my life be a song, Lord, that you love to sing. Amen. Father, that's our prayer this morning, God, that you would increasingly give us new sight to see you as you are, to see ourselves as we are, to see this world as being not just beautiful and not just broken, but under your control. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at Rimrock Church. May you have a just beautiful day.